Welcome to Live Let Thrive, a podcast about the Airbnb life, the share economy, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Micah and Steve. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back to another exciting episode of Live Let Thrive. What is up, Micah man? I'm chilling, Stevie Stacks. We are back at it. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, man. And you always say chilling, but I, I've never seen you chill before. You're always busy hustling. Hey, if you enjoy hustling, then it's a chill, right? <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, we are back with episode 167 of your favorite Airbnb, VRBO, HomeAway, Turo, Lyft, short co- short-term rentals, and share economy podcast in the world. And we have a special guest today. We got we got we got a special guest named Rafael Losa coming at you. And let me read you a little bit, a little excerpt about Rafael Losa uh, or Rafa, as he's called, I'm sure. Uh, let me see. Where did it go? Here we go. So Rafael, he's been doing short term rental arbitrages for four plus years and has built it over 53 units and currently 23 are live. He works with to help his friends and family around him to get started on their own STR journey. And we want to know how the hell he got so many units. And yeah, Rafael, what's up, man? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. So where are your where are your where are your units located? Uh, All over Southern California, Orange County. Um, I have some in Fullerton, Santa Ana, Costa Mesa currently. Those three cities. Wow. And you, yeah. you got 50, 50 there? So I actually only have 23 right now. I had 50. Well, no. So I've had 27 up to one point. I've built out 50 because I've built some out for my friends and my families. And then uh, my old business partner, she's got a couple that we've helped her build. Um, and then, you know, taking up, putting up some and then taking some down. Um, over time, it's been a total of 53. But live right now that are operating, 23 of them. That are mine. That are mine. That's nice. what's up. And you do only arbitrage, right? Correct. Yeah. All arbitrage, all arbitrage. Um, I do single families and apartment complexes. Ooh, now we got to touch on that. So most people are with the apartment route. I like that you do the single family. So which one do you like, like more? Uh, I like, you know what, in terms of return and revenue, single families, but in terms of growing faster and scaling apartments, for okay. sure. It's easier to scale and grow if you, uh, if you're doing apartment complexes. Mm, okay. And, uh, like how many, like how many do you, uh, units do you pick up at a time at an apartment complex? Anywhere from eight to 12, eight to 12. Mm. Yeah. I'll end up doing eight to 12. Um, it used to be one. Well, when I first started, obviously one and then two, um, now I just have literally, I was talking to a landlord a couple of days ago and he just offered me a uh, eight unit complex. And we're about to take over at the end of the month. Ooh, good one. So, so you, okay. And that eight unit complex, that's more of a smaller and he owns the whole thing. Correct. Yeah. So it's more of like, um, it's like a, it looks more like a hostel style, but it's all individual little apartments. So if you walk in, it's got a front door, but then it's got oh, one apartment on the left, apartment on the right, you go up the hallway, two and two upstairs, two and two. Um, so it ends up being a total of four be- front and back. And then in the back of it, he's got a two bedroom bungalow that they're rebuilding that I'm going to take over at the end of August as well. So it's a total of 10 units on one lot, but an eight unit complex total. Mm. The power of networking right there. I love it. It's, it's, so right away, uh, I have a question because 
you said Southern California, and then all we hear about is like really, really strict um, regulations on Airbnbs over there. So how do you get around that? You know, um, luckily in two of the cities that I was in, um, they didn't have regulations yet. So Fullerton just passed the regulation right now. So I, in terms of, I usually like to get in before the regulation hits, because if you're in, once the regulation hits, um, then it's pretty much kind of, you're going to, if you get lucky, you can get grandfathered in. Um, rather than when there's already a regulation, you, it's a little bit harder. Um, you have to kind of follow the guidelines, get a permit, apply for a license, all of that. So um, there is a lot of regulations here. You have the city of Anaheim, obviously everybody knows Disneyland. They have the biggest regulation possible. They only allowed a total of like two some, 270 something. So um, I like to go into the cities where they don't have regulations and Santa Ana doesn't have any. Fullerton didn't until literally, I think a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, if I'm mistaken. And Costa Mesa has had one and then they removed it. Um, when I was in, uh, in uh, Fullerton, when we first started, I used to have 17 units there and um, it was the wild west, right? There was no regulation at all. So um, I can open locations in pretty much wherever there's a regulation. I just very thorough about reading it, understanding it and knowing what I'm allowed to do rather than being scared and saying, oh no, I can't operate here because of a regulation. It's more of, what can I do with this regulation? Where can I operate in the city with the regulation? And how can I follow the, the rules of the regulation? Now, well, and that creates that barrier to entry. Right. Now you said well, something. I'll oh, go ahead, Steve. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, was, was, just one thing that stands out is that you, you search out places that don't have any regulations, whereas Micah, he's like the opposite. He, he likes to search out places that already do have regulations, right, Micah? Yeah. Because you know I, that I was going to touch on that. Go ahead. Steve. Yeah, go ahead. No, that's what I was saying. That's just a, it's an opposite approach. So when you go for the place that don't have regulations, does that hurt you on the single family side? Because most of the time when regulations come down, they end up hitting that single family residential route. The or are you like, hey, you ain't got regulations. I'll go the apartment route. How is it? How are you looking at that? So it's it's when I where there's no regulation, it doesn't matter what I get. I'll go for whatever I can get. So if it's a single family, I'll do it. I just do it knowing that once the regulation hits, they're going to be the ones being targeted first. Um, so it's basically like, I'm not going to go in, in my business model. I don't go and get 10 single families because we're looking at 10 different owners. It's just harder. Right. Cool. But I can go and get 10, 10, one bedroom apartments instantly. So I'm not too worried about when the regulation hits, if I have a single family residency, because if I do have to shut that one single family residency down for any reason, it's only one. I can pick up my furniture and split it into numerous um, one bedroom apartments so it's, it's, the risk is not as high as if it, if it was regulation towards a 20-unit complex where I have to shut down 20 units immediately. Does that make sense? Got you. I got you. I like that. Okay. And that, that was so – the next question would be, what, what is your contingency plan? What do you put in your leases to, you know, to protect yourself in case something, some regulations comes down so you won't be stuck with these leases? So to be honest, I haven't had anything because I haven't had to deal with it when the um, – when the ordinance hits up to now, um, most of the time I just explain it. For example, with the owner that I'm working with now, he used to actually be, so this gentleman, he's, um, I had to close down, it was 18 units in Fullerton and I came down to open some down here. I met this gentleman, he used to be on city council down here in Santa Ana. Mm -hmm. So um, he's familiar with everything. So I've talked to him about it. I said, hey, look, I have to close down some units over there. Um, the ordinance is gonna, it's gonna eventually come to us because Santa Ana is pretty much the only city left out here without a regulation. And um, he's introduced me to the mayor. We've walked my properties. They all love it. So I know that once it hits, it, it's not like I'm going to get my, like a heads up, but it'll be one of those things where, hey, 
it's probably coming, prepare for it. And when I talk to him, it's like, okay, look, whatever, whatever the, the deal is, at that point, we're going to have to sit down and talk. If, like, if they ban it 100%, then just be aware that odds are I'm going to have to change the business structure to, to do um, 30 day or more um, night minimums, or I'm going to have to end up shortening our leases so I can move elsewhere where I am allowed to operate. And he was okay with that. So there isn't like a, like a special like clause contingency on my lease or anything like that that I do. Oh, wow. See, I, to me, I, I feel more safer if there is something like ri- uh, in written down, you know, <laughs> that's just me because because people, you well, know. Yeah. yeah, no, and I agree with you. The, the thing is that I, I, I'm pretty well versed in terms of being able to short term rentals, right, is only 28 days and under. So if, if a regulation does hit, I know I can structure and pivot my business to do at least one month minimums, right, with um, nurse contracts and some of the business people that I work with were here for six months some of the insurance companies. So I know I can structure and change that way. I might not make as large a profit that I want to make on those locations, but at least I can shift and get them occupied in the meantime. So where I start looking somewhere else where I'm able to operate. So I don't know if that makes sense as well. No, no, yeah. you're, you're already ready. You're ready. Say regulations yeah. <laughs> come, we pivot. That, that's, yeah. that's the and way that, to do it. And that's what we've told our listeners for a long time. It better make sense as a 30-day plus rental before you even think about doing a short-term rental because if that regulation comes, you better be able to pivot. A hundred percent, man. I was just talking with the, with the guy. He's a, a newbie. He wanted to get started in short-term rentals and I've been kind of helping him out along the way. And um, in his market, it's 30-day minimums. And he, he's like, I'm going to sign seven leases. They're ready to go. And I'm like, bro, I was like, do you know how you're going to be able to get 30-day minimum rentals? And he goes, well, I just figured I can contact some nurses and maybe put this on like a website <laughs> like um, uh, the – what's the travel nurse one? Uh, um, furnished, uh, finder. furnished Finder. And I'm yeah. like, it's not that simple, man. It's not – you're going to put it on there. I go, what are you going to do when you get a booking for 30 days now and then you have a seven-day gap in between there and then you get another 30-day booking and then you have like a three-week gap and you get a 30-day booking? I go, are you prepared to be able to deal with these situations? And you – you know, it took me a while to get them to understand that, mm-hmm. but you got to be prepared for those things before you jump in and say, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm just going to put it on websites for 30 day minutes. It doesn't work that way. So how do you fill in your gaps? So I know. So that's the thing. I, I'm none of mine are 30 day minimums. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I don't have to deal with it. That's I, whenever they go, well, are you going to open this in like Long Beach? They just changed it to 30 day minimums. And um, I was about to get some units out there and I just said, never mind. I just don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. It's not because I can't do it. I'm just more of the easiest road to get to where I want to get to. And I don't have to deal with the problems of having to do that when I know I can operate five miles down the road without any issues. Right. Right. And, and you, you said you had to like shut down 17 units, right? Or 17 or 18 yeah. and then go. Yeah. It was else. 18 units, mm-hmm. man. So now, now, now my question is how do you bounce back? Like, are you just, Hey, I'm going to just take the furniture from all these units and just go put them in another unit and go, or how is that bounce back? You know, dude, that, that's a great question because it's one of those things where like it had never happened before, right? Everything was going good. And so we had to close down because of the pandemic, but not because we were affected by the pandemic directly. Um, the owner sold the building. We had to get out. Um, and so uh, it was one of those things when it hit, we, at that time, we had, I think, 21. Yeah, 22 at that time. And so um, it, I sat down with my business partner. I said, hey, um, what are we doing from here? Like, what's the, what's the goal? Are we going to reopen? Are we shutting down, selling all the furniture, putting it in storage, waiting for the pandemic to hit? I mean, to end, luckily it was towards the end of the pandemic already. Right. So this was just what in January, three months ago. So we actually started moving in February. So I said, you know what? I think things are going to get better. Let's take a gamble because I'm not going to close down. It's just not going to happen. Right. It's our entire business. It's our livelihood. It's what we make money out of. So I basically, um, I, I moved all um, within a 30 day period. 
And as we were moving is literally the day after night I had to go, it was fine apartments. And I just, it took me about, I want to say four hours of, of searching phone calls. I got, I got in contact with this owner here. Um, I called them. I, I sold them on the idea, right? We do the corporate rentals, the, the, the business um, professionals traveling, uh, the short-term rentals. I met up with them the next morning and dude, luckily this guy had a 12 unit building that was vacant. That was about to go live that he just finished building. And up the street, about two blocks in downtown Santa Ana, there was a 24-unit loft building, right? Like, I'm talking, like, dead center downtown. Mm. And he goes, hey, man, um, you know, I don't know. First thing he says to me is, I don't like the idea of Airbnb. And so, obviously, as our business structure, it's our job to be able to, to educate owners and explain to them exactly what our business model is, right? So, I went in. I came in. I talked to him. I was like, look, before you get into that, let me explain to you what we do. I went into the details of it. Um, and I said, you know what, at the end of the conversation it was about a 30 minute conversation. I was like, Hey man, um, let me do this. Give me one for six months. I'm thinking in the back of my head is I'll put some of my, my furniture in storage and I'll keep making phone calls to find other locations. And so we signed a lease that day and literally within the week of me, um, setting up, uh, it was, I, I went and I found a bunch of movie. I had two moving companies on, on standby. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and I picked up some, some local guys over at the local U-Haul that were willing to help. Um, that have helped me in the past. I called them up. I was like, hey, gather you guys. And I rented up three U-Hauls already scheduled. And within the week, the guy goes, hey, man, I love the way you're setting up the unit. I love how you've been handling everything. I saw the security systems already coming in. He's like, you want to just take the entire building? And I was like, uh, yes. And so it, instantly it was like, I called all the guys. I said, hey, we got eight units by the end of next week. Get ready. And so we just picked up. And, and so the thing is that I still have furniture sitting in storage. Um, because all my, my um, units were two bedrooms and all of these new units are all one bedrooms. And so I took everything and I said, we started picking and choosing. I said, this is what we want. I want this. I want that. This is going here. And it just, it was transition. It was a very smooth transition, luckily, but it's because I was able to, to, to get, I was comfortable enough to start making the phone calls and getting the relationships. And now this gentleman here is the one who's like, he's constant just off. I mean, he rented, he, he bought a duplex up the street. He called me, he goes, it's going to be ready next week take it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm living in a house that I'm renting off of. And he goes, Hey, this is great for you for short-term rentals. You want it? I walked in and man, I love the house. I was like, I want it for myself. And he's like, take <laughs> it. He gave me two months free rent. He lowered the rent, no pet fee, all because of the communication and the, um, and the, the networking and just the way that we carry ourselves with them. And he loves me now. And he's constantly giving me, um, I got this eight unit building coming up. Um, and then they got a ni- another nine unit building, literally four blocks away. Um, the other day I was walking my dog around the building. And he, he shows up with this contract there. He's like, hey, I'm going to close on this one. I was like, is this my next building? And he goes, if you want it, it's yours. I was like, all right, we got this. And so that's, that's just the way it, it happened with him. Um, and moving, it, it made everything so easy from moving all of those 18 units to, it was pack up the kitchen stuff, drop it off in this kitchen. Pack up the bedroom stuff, drop it off in this bedroom. And that's all it was. I mean, it's expensive. Don't get me wrong. It, 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 luckily, we had a lot in reserve, right? A lot of saved money. So um, it cost me quite a bit of money to move everything. Not only that, it's, it's the first... Um, the first few units with this one landlord. So, um, you know, higher deposits. Now I'm able to negotiate really low deposits and a couple months free rent with him if anytime I take over units. Sorry, I know that was a long answer, but no, hopefully great. that answers it. Yeah. No, that was a good answer because I, I like the fact. So this is what I tell that what you really much said is, man, if you do get shut down, you might have to pay deposits, but you, at least you already got your furniture. So that's really your yes. biggest startup expense. You just, Correct. boom, go to another unit. Drop this kitchen stuff off to this kitchen. I love it, man. You, you definitely pivoted. Now, you did say something in there that was very interesting. You said you started picking up those units at the end of the pandemic. 
So how did the pandemic affect the California market? Because I have a few few out there in California and it was bad for me. But <laughs> Yeah, dude, uh, man, don't get me started. It was bad. Um, so when it first hit, was the worst, right? Um, I, I did multiple things. So the, the very first month I went, it was what, March, right? When it first officially like the shutdown happens. Yeah. Um, man, I, everything all my reservations were done. I went down from, I think it was like, and March is one of my best months, right? It was like $70,000 or something like that to seven grand. Like in terms of reservations, I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to have to kill all the reserves to keep going. So all I did was um, we started making phone calls. We talked to to the property managers and we're like, hey, listen, here's what's going on. Um, The shutdown's coming. I don't want to like not be able to pay you guys. Is there anything we can do? And we started working things out. With a few of them, uh, a few of the units, we were able to negotiate where they gave us kind of like a small forbearance. So we were paying them a percentage of the rent. Um, uh, and then we would pay back the rest as things got better. And they were cool with that. And um, we shifted. So I started contacting a lot of the business um, contacts that we had. Um, I even emailed some of the cities and I offered them to the, to the I got in contact with the city of Fullerton, uh, one of the girls that, that lodges all of the city workers. And um, they were housing um, some of the firefighters that got COVID who couldn't go back to their families. So they would ended up, we offered them our locations. I think we ended up getting like three reservations from them. Um, and, you know, they stayed for, cause it's 14 day minimum quarantine at that time. So that helped out. Um, I ended up putting all of my, all of my units with insurance that um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's an insurance company. Um, and then they booked a couple of my spots. And then I lowered, I know people hate saying that and they say, oh, you don't need to lower rates, but I lowered rates to the point where at least I would break even to hold me over and not pay myself anything and not make a profit. And that was okay with me. It's like one of those things where like, what do I want to do? Am I going to be, am I going to be able to keep this afloat for the next couple of months and see how it goes and at least cover the cost of operating so I can continue the business? Or is it one of those things where like, no, I want to make profit and I'm going to push as hard as I can um, and, and not give, give anybody a chance to maybe stay here longer term. So I offered longer term discounts. So I, I ended up getting a lot of long-term reservations, um, made very, very little profit, broke even a lot of places, and I was able to negotiate rent. So I was able to stay afloat on a lot of those units without any issues at all. Mm-hmm. So that, that was one of the easiest ways to do it. Um, I ended up getting a lot, a lot of nurses. I was against the uh, furnished finder for a little bit because not that there's anything wrong with them, but I was against it because you don't make the rates that you are expected to make, especially in the Southern California market. But when the pandemic hit, man, I put everything, all my units on Furnish Finder. And um, I was able to get quite a bit of bookings through there, um, through that website as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just shifted to a 30 day plus model. And again, it wasn't the greatest profits. Some of them broke even. Some of them made me 100, 200 bucks profit, but I was able to stay afloat long enough to where it started getting better. I started raising rates a little bit, started making a little bit more money paid up all operating expenses. I've paid back the debt that I owed to those complexes and I'm operating again. No issues. That's awesome, man. A lot of people would have, yeah, a lot of people would have folded, but you persevered. You found a way and that's, that's, um, it was tough, wow. man. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's crazy. Um, so like you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a lot of things. Uh, one thing is the importance of reserves. Nobody ever talks about having a nice, uh, nice, some nice reserves just in case. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm one of those people too. It took me a long time to do it because when I first started, I started with the profit first system. Right. And um, I know you guys have talked about it. I've seen you guys post some stuff about it, I think. And, um, and so I started with it. And then one of my friends who does my book, she's like, don't do it. I'll help you manage it. So I stopped. And I was like, I kind of like changed my mind a little bit. Right. So for about 
a year a year into it, I was doing it, and then a year later, I was not doing it anymore, and I stopped. And then I I got to a point where I wasn't saving anything. It was all sitting in one bank account. I would pay myself. I still only pay myself a salary, regardless from the business, but I wasn't putting anything in like my profit account. I wasn't putting anything in my tax account. And I'm like, wait a second. So I went back to her and I said, no, look, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to be able to do the profit first. This is the percentage. This is what's going to be. And so I started making sure that whatever expenses came out of came from that prop. I mean, from the operating expense account. So anything above that goes into different accounts. And so um, it was because of it, I started, started building an account, started building an account, started building an account. And um, because of the fact that I only pay myself a, a specific amount every month, it doesn't matter if I make 30 grand in profit. It doesn't matter if I make one grand in profit. I still only pay myself a, a specific salary, no matter what. And because of that, my owner's account was growing and growing and growing and growing. My tax account was growing and growing and growing. And, and look, the short-term rental industry creates very high rental, uh, very high taxable income, right? Mm. But you can still write off a lot of stuff and not pay that much because of everything that we do. And so I knew that the money I had sitting in my tax account was probably not going to have to go to, to the tax guy because I would have to either relocate or I was going to use it for some type of expense within the company. And so I took all that money in my reserves that I had in all my accounts. And that's what we used to move everything. And uh, luckily it worked out. I mean, I had enough. It was, it was quite a bit of money, man. But um, it's okay. You know, it, it, it saved it. And I know that I looked at it as an initial expense to reopen, right? It's like my initial investment. I can ha- I'm going to have that money back within the year with all these new uh, 18 units that I opened. Probably so first, um, I, yeah. I tell everybody that is the way to go, man. You yes, oh, absolutely, man. You'll get your debt paid off. Profit first is the way to go. Yep. So you you also mentioned the the words livelihood. This is your this is your full time gig right here. Yeah, yeah, it is. So so how were you able to jump into this? Like, well, what, tell me your origin story. You know, how did you start with one and then just say, hey, I don't I quit your job? How'd you do all that? Sure. So I, I've always ran, I've always been kind of an entrepreneur at heart, right? I've had businesses since I was like, I think 17 years old, um, whether it was just doing things with my hands or um, I had a collection agency at one point, it was a bunch of stuff. It got to a point where um, it wasn't doing very well. So I went and I got a job and um, this was five years ago and I was working at a job mm-hmm. and I said, Hey, I'm the type of person that I need to look at it and go, this is a stepping stone for me, right? It's just, it's just another step in the ladder that I need to overcome to get to where I want to go. And so I got the job. I wasn't happy in the job because I, I'm, again, I don't like to work. I'm not, I don't like to be on a schedule type of thing. And so um, I said, all right, in the meantime, while I'm obviously paying for my, my way through life and my, and you know, got bills to pay, I need to figure out what I'm going to do. And at that point I was already looking into getting into real estate investing. So I started doing research and um, I was going to buy a uh, single family house here in, uh, it was in Fullerton at the time. It was going for like 480. 86 if I don't if I'm not mistaken back in the day right and that was expensive four years ago and um, I, I ran the numbers I had done all the listening to the to, to the podcast and educating myself and everything and I'm like man I'm only going to make like 300 bucks in profit on this thing if I get it at the right price and I'm talking like on market I didn't know about the burst strategy back then none of that and so I'm like I'm gonna have to put a lot of money into this and I think at the time I had like twenty six thousand dollars or something and um then I was talking to my, to my um, business partner and I, and, and she goes, Hey, there's this guy who's driving a Ferrari out in LA. And I'm like, what is he doing? He's got 10 apartments for rent in this one complex doing Airbnb. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I started researching it. And then I came across, uh, you guys know Jay, right? Jay Messi. So I came across his website and he's talking about short-term rentals and I'm like, Oh, and I start researching it. And I'm like, Hmm. 
And at the time, so he's kind of my mentor. At the time, he was doing this thing called the Blueprint. And so I'm like, where he, like, he helps people like kind of start off and get started. It's like very basic information. I think he gives it away for free now. Anyway, um, and so I got it. And um, I put it on a back burner, right? It, it just sat on my, on my computer, the portal. And I'm, as I was working, doing research, researching Airbnb, I didn't know Airbnb and short-term rentals were the same thing at the time. To me, it was just Airbnb and short, like two different things. I mean, they're still kind of different things. But um, I watched his videos over the next, I want to say, five, six months. Uh, and that was it. I, I'm like, oh, cool. And I was still working my job, still trying to get into the real estate thing, research, uh, doing research on wholesaling and the birth strategy. And, and then um, my ex at the time, she goes, hey, listen, I'm just going to make a phone call to this apartment complex. And if I get you the, the um, appointment, you're going to go over there, look at him and tell him we want to rent it. And I'm like, sure, why not? So she calls this complex. I walk up and um, the entire complex is being remodeled and it's 128 units. And so they've kicked out half the tenants. And um, I walk in and so the way our structure used to be is she would call, kind of give them the pitch of the initial, hey, we're, this is what we do. We're short-term rental operators. We do corporate housing. Um, and she, she did it. I went in. I explained it in detail. And she goes, oh, well, we have a lot of vacancies. Um, we could use one. Uh, if you want, we can give you one. I said, that'd be great. And so um, I came back to look at them. Like, they said yes. And uh, uh, the next day we went in, we signed the lease. And... Um, this was in 2017, November. And so um, it, was, it was time to go. I referenced back all these, all these videos. I said, you know what, let's furnish it. Um, she furnished half of it. The, and then half of it, we hired a designer to furnish another part of it to kind of give it those finishing touches. And um, we went live middle of December. This was a two bedroom. And man, I, I kid you not, the rent at that time was 1900. And within two weeks, I think we made like a $1,200 profit on top of the rent. Um, all paid off. And then come January, it was like a $4,000 profit. Mm. Um, I'm gonna fast forward the story really fast for you guys. But February was like, uh, January was like a $4,000 profit. February was like a $2,000 profit because it's one of the worst, worst months. And at that time, they had finished remodeling some more units. And the lady calls me, and she goes, Hey, I have two more. Do you want them? It's a one bedroom and a two bedroom. Ooh. And I'm like, what am I going to do here? Um, I said, okay. Oh, and to give you guys even more in, in the middle of January, I was so hyped on it that I literally called my boss and I said, Hey, I'm quitting at the end of uh, mid February. I'm giving you guys a month notice. I'm out. I had one unit and I was like, I'm going to go all in. And so, um, when that, those two units came up, I was like, you know what? I'm doing it. And so we took them, uh, and I, I had all that money saved. I, we used that money to furnish the one bedroom. Uh, I talked to my, um, my parents and I'm like, hey, you guys want to invest with us? I thought like, you guys have some money. I'm like, we have like, they literally said we have about 10 grand under the bed. And I'm like, what is it like under the, like legit, like literally under the mattress. And they're like, yeah, I was like, give me that money. Like what are you guys doing? Oh, well, we're going to invest it. And um, so I, I, I actually, that unit, I still have it. Well, it's not that specific unit, but I would pay, I told them I'm going to, so I gave them 33% of the profit because they're my parents. So I offered them higher than I would normally. Um, and, uh, dude, I, it was those two units. And with the profit of those three, I still wasn't paying myself anything. I was paying myself, I think like 1200 bucks at that time. Um, and, uh, I had no job. That's all I was doing. We were surviving off of money and side gigs that I would do side things like other, other, um, businesses that I had. And so, um, we saved all that money. We opened two more fast forward, um, nine months. I had 14 units live all from reinvesting the profits. Um, using money from my, my parents, one of my uncles called me, um, and then half of it on a credit card. And I had 14 units at that point. Um, when I had those units, a buddy of mine, cause I talk about short-term rentals all the time. 
he got all excited. He started asking questions. He goes, hey, I have 30 grand. I said, hey, look, dude, I won't offer this to anybody, but you're my friend. I've known him from since like seventh grade. And I'm like, give me those 30 grand. I'll open two units. I'll pay you 33% of profits on those units. Here's the projected numbers. This is how they've done. I showed him everything. And he was like, wow, it's a lot of money. And he's projected to do like those 30 grand. His return's going to be, um, I think it was like 72 grand in, um, in four years. And mm -hmm. so he was like, how am I going to get that kind of money? And I'm like, well, this is what, I, this is what's, how it's going to go and explain it to him. So we opened two more units that way. And um, at that point, I obviously gave myself a raise. And then I went to, I did a loan bank, a working capital loan through clear bank at the time. And then another one through cabbage. And then I was operating, it was self, the whole, the whole business was self-sustaining at that point. Right. I was making enough profit to where I didn't really have to loan money anymore, but I didn't like to take money out of the company. Like I was telling you guys, I started doing the profit first thing again. And so, um, what I did is I talked to a friend of mine. And so she, she became the girl that became my bookkeeper. She got really hyped on it. She's like, man, she started seeing, like, I was trying to convince her for years. Uh, and she got excited seeing my numbers. She started doing my books. Um, I op we opened a few units for her. And then I, I said, Hey, do you want to open any more units? She got to four. She's like, I can't, I have a full-time job. She's like, I have 20 grand sitting around. I was like, give me your 20 grand. I'm going to give you 24,000 at the end of the year in 12 months. Took that money, opened two more units up, paid her back for 24 grand, 12 months. And um, that was it, man. After that, I was at, at that point, I think I was at like 22 units. And then um, I was literally opening up two units every month after that with the profits of the company. And it, and, and it operated fine for about a year. No issues, no complaints. All the debt was paid off. Most of the debt was paid off. And then COVID hit. Mm. And that's, that's kind of where I was at. Um, in the meantime, I was helping um, her open units and things like that. So I don't know. Go ahead. One thing I really want to touch on is the 33% of the profit. So they, so you get it up and running for them and then you start, you start managing it for them too. Is that correct? I do everything. So okay. it's basically all they do is give me the money. Give me the money. It's like, yeah. And that's it. And they're going to give them 33% of the profit. Correct. So, so for example, if they gave you 10 grand, then I don't know, in a few months you profited what 20 grand for them and then you keep 33 or you keep 77 percent of the profit yes oh, okay so, that's, so, that's yeah go ahead yeah okay so for example um they gave me it was fifteen thousand dollars and i said hey those fifteen thousand dollars this one unit we'll get it back in honestly 10 months that that was like the projected number at that time right from my experience of operating in that same location and so they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, you're not going to get that money back. What will happen is I'm going to give you 33% of any profit out of the unit. And um, the profit is basically anything after operating expenses um, for the company. Uh, for that one unit, I'm sorry, not for the company, for that one unit. And so, for example, if a profited 900 bucks, they would get uh, 300 and 1,000 bucks, they would get $333. And I would put it into a bank account for them. And then the company would keep the remaining um, $600. $70 or whatever it is in a, in a, in our account. Does that make sense? So it, it sounds a little, it sounds like, cause how a lot of management companies do it, they'll just take 20% of the gross revenue, correct? Yeah. You're, you're just, you're, what you're doing is taking a chunk of the profit, a big chunk, yeah. 77%. Yeah. So it, it kind of works out the same in a way, yeah. right? Well, the thing is that I can do that, but because it's, I'm doing it on a unit basis, not on the business. It's got to be different, right? I can't offer them a percentage on the company because even just 10% of the profit, even if I just offer 5% of the business as a whole, I'm going to give them back their money in, in two, three months. Yeah. Like that's how much cash flow we, we generate. So I said, hey, whatever unit I open with this money, whatever the, the profit is, you're going to get 33% of that money. And so they were doing so well, man. I, I paid them back. 
the 15 grand that got, we had, we got it back literally in like, I think it was 12 months, 12 and a half months. Um, and out of that, they took 33% of it and just sits in a bank account. I pay them all out once a year. And that's for the remainder of my life, right? As long as I have these units open. So the projected oh. amount was, yeah, yeah. It's not like I, like I okay. have it on a. That's interesting. Yeah. What, did you, what did you learn to do at the structure like that? I just came up with it. It was one of those things where like, I, I was going to do more. Um, but and I was, just from talking to investors and, and like tell, people tell me, dude, don't offer it. You're going to be paying out a lot of money over time. I'm thinking, I don't care. I, this is my family. I want them to make money as well. I'm already taking 70% of profit. That's a lot, right? 700 bucks out of it. We're talking just a thousand dollars, right? That's what we're averaging it off of. Yeah, so if I take seven, yeah. yeah. So if I take 700 bucks in profit for them, just loaning me money and I'm able to help them make money over time, that's cool with me. I don't really care as long as the unit's operating. So it's it. kind of it's kind of like how you consider it. it's just another one of you a unit another unit for your company you're just you know like you said it's a loan and you're paying them back every year you know for forever i guess forever yeah it's literally forever um i mean those 15 grand are going to come back to them five six seven eight nine ten times over um and i pay them once a year i think i pay them like i've, I've already paid them back to 15 grand easy um wow. i think i've paid them like 20 grand at this point over the last four years or something like that Wow. So, um, yeah, and it worked out. They're happy with it. They got their money back. I'm, I'm still operating. I'm, I've made a ton of money off those units uh-huh. um, with no complaints. And they're okay with it. I don't do it anymore because, again, it's the company's self-sustaining. Like, I can take my own revenue. Mm-hmm. But if someone comes to me like a friend who, who wants to invest, I'd rather just teach them the business for them to go out and do it than, than me <laughs> take the money and do it. Find us some hey, units, man. Hey, cool you know what's funny? Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Go, go ahead. Say what you say. I was going to say, I've actually become quite good at finding units. I've had a bunch of the local guys. Like I just, man, I just had a guy. So I opened up uh, units in Costa Mesa and I called him back and um, I'm like, hey, I need some more locations. She's like, oh, this guy came in, said that he knew you, um, that he knew your company. And so we offered him some units here too. Never heard of this guy in my entire life. I have no (laughs) idea who he was, but he knows me from all my networking and and talking about this stuff that he, he found out where I was at. He went in, gave my name. They gave him five units. And um, people have been following, like everywhere I go, someone follows me and they want to jump in because I've become so good at finding locations. It's kind of weird. Dude, I just went through that today, man. It was funny. Did you? That exactly. Yeah. But the guy called me. He he was like, hey, man, do you know, um, he was like, hey, man, I was at this apartment complex. He goes, I think you're there. And he gave me the apartment complex name. I'm like, yeah, I'm there. And he was like, yeah, man, they denied me. He was like, I didn't want to go and say I knew you, but he was like, man, you mind if I, we work a deal out and I get some units? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So we, we did it that That's way. Cool. So, yeah, he didn't do the, you know, yeah, I know Rafa, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I don't even know who he is. I'm like, I call him like, can you tell me who he is? And she's like, I can. And I started, so I just went in, I found who he, his company, I found who he was and his profile and everything. And I'm like, I have no idea who this guy is. I was like, he just happens to know who I am. Whatever. I was like, as long as he operates good, man, because I hate when a bad operator goes into a building and we get in trouble. That is so, true. Now, yeah. now, one thing you said, you said you were using um, working capital. Now, I'm, I'm interested in that. How, how does that, how did that work out for you? What were the terms and how did you have to pay that back? Sure. So, um, to be honest, I don't remember how ClearBank or Cabbage worked. Uh, actually, Cabbage, I do remember. So, um, they, so, they'll give you an amount and then you've got to pay back a specific amount, no matter how fast you pay it back or how late or at what point you give it back. So, for example... They gave me $20,000 um, and I had to pay them back within um, an 18 month period. And it was paying them back a total of, I think, 23 and a half. 
So they were taking 3,500, no matter what, whether I pay them back next month or whether I took the whole 18 months to pay them back. Does that make sense? Mm, okay. Um, kind of like, like now I use PayPal working capital. Have you guys ever used PayPal working capital? No, but I've been hearing about it. How does that work yeah. for you? Okay. So for example, all your units, like and everybody listening and they run short-term rentals, run all your income from Airbnb through PayPal, everything. And then you run it through um, PayPal and you pay yourself out while you start establishing that history with PayPal. And after 90 days, you can apply for a working capital loan, not, not a business loan, a working capital loan through PayPal. And they'll take into account all your deposits based on your, your, your history of 90 days, um, how good you've been in standing with, with the account with them. And then they'll loan you up to, I know a guy who took 160 grand from him. I know another guy who took 110 grand from him. I took 22 grand from him. And they give you, um, so basically what they do, okay, so they work two ways to pay them back. Um, the 20 grand, the 22 grand that I took, they made me pay back, I think 26. So I was paying them $4,000. Um, but they take a percentage of any deposit that you put into the account. So going forward, if you deposit 10 grand, they're going to take a percentage out of those 10 grand. But you can switch it to where they only make you pay back a specific amount every 90 days. So every three months, you only have to pay back, I don't know, I think like $1,200 or something like that or $800 or whatever it is. So you can extend this thing out, you know, five, six years and only still have to pay the four grand that they're asking you to pay in prop in, in, uh, in terms of the loan cost. So, so, okay. so they pretty much giving you a net 90, right? Yeah. So you get a net 90. Now how much now? Okay. So you said you might owe $1,200 at the end of that 90 days, right? Yeah. Okay. And that's if you, so, Oh, go ahead. That varies on the amount that you get. Okay. So it'll change on the amount that you get. For example, um, like I'm, I don't like to hold debt over my head. It doesn't matter if I pay them back over a year or pay them back in three months. If whatever the profit that I make on those two units now, what I do now, because again, I'm doing very well off with the other units. I take off the, I take the entire profit and I just throw it back into that, into, into that loan. If I took a loan to open up those units. So that way those, that loan gets paid off right away. And then they're now making profit the remainder of my life with it as long as they're open. So, um, but with them, I actually had a choice to pay them back in 24 months. Um, but I, when, when, when I realized that they only take a, they only require a specific amount every 90 days, I was like, I don't have to pay them back in 24 months. So instead of paying them back in 24 months, what I did is I saved that money and I paid them back the minimum for 90 days. I saved all that money. I opened another unit. One, when I had the money saved, instead of paying back the entire loan, I took it. I opened another unit as I was paying them the very minimum every 90 days. And then once I opened another unit, then I took the profit from those three units and I just paid back that one loan really fast. So I, dude, I paid them back in, I think nine months and it was total of 24 grand. Uh, yeah. Total 24 grand. It was like nine months. So it was cool. It worked out. That's nice that profit sense. first system, man. I love it. <laughs> so, so now you were talking about, you were doing research on burrs or anything like that. Now, are, have you hopped into the buying side yet? So, um, man, I, I, right before um, COVID hit, literally the month before, I was about to close on a plot of land out in Joshua Tree because we we're going to do a new construction on a tiny home. And, um, man, it was like literally like I already had the architect out there. I already had the plans for the water meter to get everything done. We needed a pool. I mean, it was a great spot. And then COVID hits. Um, and then I'm like, okay, stop a second. And then um, I'm like, so I slowed it down. I, I, I backed off. And then. I started, they sold a lot to someone else. I was so upset. And so um, I kept doing research. I, f I finally found another lot, dude. I'm about to close on this plot of land. 
Uh, I have the plan, same architect ready to go. And then I have to shut down the 18 units. And I'm like, oh my God, one thing after the other. So I shut down the 18 units. I can no longer use the money to buy the land or to open the, to, to build the new construction. And so now finally, because I'm up and running, I've been doing really well for the last two months. Um, I'm actually looking to purchase out in Texas or out in the Smoky Mountains or um, somewhere down here. I'm literally going to get into it now. Hey, man, you know the hot spots. You said the Smokies yeah. and you said Joshua Tree, man. Yeah. The yeah. Hot, hot spots right there. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm kind of glad that I didn't buy because it, it, now that I know how very specific markets, how I'm more, my business is now changing from arbitraging complexes now that I'm making enough revenue to purchase. I'm now focused on very specific markets for the vacation rental market. So like the Smokies and um, JT down here, it's starting to get really packed though. But uh, you know, I'm going to find very specific markets and purchase in those locations. I love it, man. I love it. Now, now are you doing traditional purchasing? Are you doing burrs? How are you doing it? Both, both. Um, so if I can, if I can purchase a good one at a good down payment and the numbers make sense to where I know for a fact, that I'm going to, I have a really good friend that I made um, uh, on Clubhouse also. It's funny, we talk every day now, but um, he runs, he's great at running numbers and market data. And so I, I have him, I, I analyze the property, then he analyzes it. And if the numbers make sense, I don't mind buying turnkey property as long as it's a hundred percent, like in really good shape. But I just went and I looked at a Burr um, property out in, uh, in Riverside. This was for, a not for short-term rentals, but um, if I can get a good deal in terms of Burr, then I'll 100% jump on that as well. Gotcha. What's the name of your company real quick? Night and Rain Properties. Night? So it's K, yeah, it's Night's like a, like K-N-I-G-H-T. H-T. And then Rain, R-E-I-G-N. E-I. Night and Rain? Yeah. Night and Rain. How'd you come up with that name? Um, me and my ex at that time, um, we were like, hey, let's come up with a uh, good company name. And one of my dogs names Rain. And it's R-E-I-G-N. And then we were going to name my other dog, Night. She's like, Night Rain's a cool name. And she came out. She was like the creative one. Yeah, and yeah. so, um, I don't know, we just, it's just stuck. And we started going with it. And um, we just, I mean, it's stuck. We ran with it. Now, my short-term rental side is Nightly Stays. Kind of like same thing with the K and I. With the K. So, yeah. That's, that's a clever name, Nightly Stays. Yeah. Now, I have a question for you. Now, you run 23-something units now. What systems do you use to keep those units up and running? And how, how, how many hours a week do you work on your business? Man, um, on the high end, six hours. Um, on the low end, one. Um, everything's automated. Everything. I, the only thing is right now I'm actually currently onboarding two new virtual assistants so that they can do the, all the messaging as well. So that's going to, it's going to put a lot of work on my side to be able to train them properly and get them to the standards that I want them to. But um, the only thing that I don't 100% automate is pricing. I still go in and I, uh, I check my pricing at least once a week and I do it. On, I know that in my market, the days I get the most bookings are Mondays and Tuesdays. So I go in on Wednesday and I check where I'm at, um, how my prices are. And then I go in again on Sunday and I check how my prices are so that Monday and Tuesday I can take advantage of all those really good rates. Oh, um, oh sorry. No, no, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to ask you now, where are you hiring your VAs from? So um, I've, I've, I got in contact, I have three different locations. I got in contact with a really um, good a real estate investor. Um, his name's Steve Rosenberg. You guys have probably heard him. He's all over Big Pockets. 
um, I talked to his, his personal virtual assistant and um, she was really cool. She's from Mexico. She actually does onboarding for certain people. I just said, hey, look, I'm looking for some virtual assistants. So I'm about to reach out to her. She's going to get me some. Um, I've done virtual staff finder out from the Philippines. And then um, my buddy, he actually put an ad out on, um, what's that? Not Upwork, but the other one. Um, Fiverr. Fiverr, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and he put a, a thing out. He interviewed three of them. One of them, he wasn't going to hire. He was only looking for two and he um, referred her to me. I did the initial interview. I explained to her what I wanted. She has experience with everything that I want, like literally with everything, smart Airbnb, Airbnb um, uh, already communication with other companies. And so I hired her. So I've done all three different, just from word of mouth in, um, referrals, from virtual staff finder, and then from the Mexico ones. I'm excited about the Mexico ones. So we'll see how, how, how they go as well. Yeah, because we, we've been like going south on our virtual assistants, either Mexico, Argentina, yeah. we've been going that route instead of going all the way across the ocean. So yeah, <laughs> that's a smart move. Now, um, I think I drew a blank, but I had something to follow up on that virtual assistant. How do you structure the pay for a virtual assistant? Yeah, that's where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> do you mean like like how I pay them or like yeah. how much I pay them or what do you mean? Either way, because like, I mean, people are like, well, what if they answer like only five phone calls today? Are you going to pay them like eight hours of work or how, how does how does it work? Got it. No, I, I pay them uh, hourly. So um, I pay them hourly, but I make sure that so from the beginning when I first originally hire them, um, I make sure that they know what their job is going to be, what the task is going to be. Um, I hire them as part time so I can see that they are starting to understand everything. Um, but I pay them depending on, so the ones from the Philippines, they get paid an hourly rate uh, starting. I think it was the ongoing rate at the time was 350. I pay them that for the first, um, for the training period. And then after the 90 days, I go up a dollar. Um, if they, if they're doing like really well with how I want them to go, the ones for the virtual assistants from Mexico, they start at 450 to 550. Um, they go up, um, a, a uh, a dollar as well after the 90 day training period. Um, and then I pay them on the first Friday and the last Friday of every month. And it's just because the way that I do my payouts for anything, if you send me an invoice, it goes to my bookkeeper, she reviews everything and then she sends me all my payouts on Friday and that's when all my payouts come out. So every, every invoice has to be in by Thursday of the first Friday and then Thursday of the last Friday. And so I pay them twice a month through, uh, we use uh, Zoom with PayPal, X-O-O-M. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's for the Philippines, them. yeah. Yeah. So Zoom using Mexico and Philippines. So actually, no, the Mexico one I haven't hired yet. We're about to onboard. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so the, I don't know how they're going to get paid, but most likely the same thing. Zoom. Yeah. That's how I send money to Mexico. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, so, so, okay. So you pay them an hourly. So you, you, what do you do? They do eight hour shifts. So how does that work? So when they first start, it's four hour shifts. So for the starting period, we train for one hour every day on a specific topic. For example, um, today at six o'clock after this, I'm going to start one of them that I just hired. We're going to do an hour training and it's on smart BNB. tomorrow. It's on, um, like just guest communications. And then the day after is on Trello. The day after is on like Slack. So every day I do one specific thing for the system. And then after that's done, after the hour training, they stay on board and I just kind of plug them into the communication system. They already have to have experience with communications, right? So they already know how to deal with it. So then I just kind of monitor them from my side, making sure that they're um, answering all messages. Um, when, and then as we go along and we run into problems and things, I make them document the problem so that they have a system in place. So they, they're actually building out my SOPs as well as we go. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
uh, after the first hour they jump on and like if a, a specific like a very specific issue arises that i don't already have a system in place for where i can can't just send them a video because i do video through loom as well so if i can't just send them a video to answer that specific task then i uh we go into it in detail we dive into it the moment it happens and um then we create an actual system for it and now the second time it happens they just follow that system they follow, watch the video follow the system and it, it, it just that's it's a continuous loop over the first 90 days after 90 days they gotta they gotta know all of my properties like by heart uh, not by heart but i mean they gotta be familiar with my properties right i send them videos of all the properties they have all like i have a spreadsheet of all the details whether from the does it require a key? Does it have a pool? Does the pool require a key? I mean, everything on a line item spreadsheet. Mm. So they know how to answer those questions. Where's the trash can? They just go in a spreadsheet trash can. These are the instructions for the trash can, right? So all of that's already done. And that's the stuff that I train them. This is why, this is where most of my time goes into right now is training the virtual assistants. And then you get them onto eight hour shifts, right? Yeah. After, after the 90 days. So if, if they're, they're on it, like let's say they're on point, like within the first two months, even within the first 30 days, I'm happy to put them on an eight hour shift. I just don't like to do so because I need to make sure that they got everything squared away within that first four hour shift. So that if I give them more time, I'm going to start adding things to their, to their plate, right? It's not, you're getting four hours to hang out anymore. At that point, you're doing more things that you would be doing on a different time. So for example, like reviewing my, my door footage, instead of when they first start, they just review the people checking in so that they get familiar with it. But when they're on an eight hour shift, you have to review every single listing right? Because what if tomorrow the guest brings five extra people that weren't there yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. Things like that. Um, and then when they're, when they're on an eight hour shift, when they're on their downtime, because messages don't come in all the time, when they're on their downtime, um, I have them go through the, through our SOPs and say, Hey, do you know what can be done better here? Or is it, is it structured properly? Or, um, just kind of clean up the, the, uh, the cards, the Trello cards or the spreadsheet, whatever you want. Um, and I kind of give them the freedom to do so as long as they're doing something along those lines. Uh, um, because most of the times when I offer on the eight hour shifts, it's at night when I'm sleeping, I just want them to be on point for communication. So as long as they're there in front of the screen for communication, I'm okay with it. So then you communicate when they're, when they're not communicating, is that, is that how it goes or what? When they're, well, so when they're not, no, no. So they have to, one of the requirements is they have to have the communications open on their screen at all times, uh -huh. whether it be their phone or their computer. And so, um, but they have to have, basically smart bnb open at all times so when smart bnb comes in and notification pops in they got to respond to that so the 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 standard is you have to respond within 10 minutes of any message no matter what so for 24 hours for 24 hours for four, 24 hours correct but oh. so that's the thing right because it's not it's not just one virtual system for 24 hours when i had a, that's why i'm hiring new ones now so i can cover the entire day it was um one was working from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. Then the other one would come in from 11 to 6, I believe. I don't remember the time. Um, and so they would take over. But um, it was, you need to be on top of communication at all times. The only time I knew I had to respond is when I don't have a virtual assistant on, 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 on the clock, basically, where mm -hmm. it's like, let's say, 10 a.m. and I know nobody's there. Then I respond to those messages. I see. So, but you'll, you'll cover that with the, with the next assistant. You'll have it all three shifts, right? Yes. Correct. Oh, wow. Correct, that's cool. correct, correct. Yeah. I like how you did that. You broke it up, get three, put them on eight hour shifts. That's a 24. Now question, yes. are, you, are, are they working five, seven days a week? No. So I actually have them take off. Um, they work five days, two days off. Uh, Mexico actually works six days. So they're, I guess um, from what this girl was telling me, 
Um, she says that out there, the standard is you work 48 hours a week. So it's six hours, I mean, six days a week. So they only get one day off. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. And well, no. So my days off are for one of them, like the one. So what I do is I'll, I'll, I'll basically put one in charge after a while. Right. And um, that one takes off Monday and Tuesday. So they get money so, because Saturdays and Sundays are my busiest. Mondays and Tuesdays are my deadest days. Like they're the, the off days, basically. Uh, like I can chill on Monday, Tuesday. Um, but I have the backup, the one that works a different shift on Monday and Tuesday on the busy hours, which is um, 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. from check-in time to nighttime. Mm-hmm. And so I had, and then they get um, Wednesday, Thursday off. So I always have the weekend covered no matter what. Ooh, man, you're dropping some heavy gems, dude. This is how you run a full-blown business right here. I'm loving it. <laughs> And that's how you can keep from, I mean, that's how you could only work, you know, yourself personally work six hours a week or less, right? I mean, that's, that's because you're handing it off. And by doing that, you're able to scale faster. Yeah, man, I was stubborn. I'll tell you, it took me to get to 22 units before I said, you know what, I need to hand off the messaging. I was stubborn. I was like, I'm going to handle this all myself. I don't want to bring in the extra expense of, of an hourly rate on a virtual assistant. And it got to a point where like I'm having dinner and I get a message and I'm like, all right, it's time to put this off. It's time to give it to someone else. I'm, I'm done. Setting codes. I used to have an alarm on my, on my phone at 3.50 p.m. Um, because I, I, so some of them aren't automated, right? Like some of them we use August locks. So that's automated. Some of them we use the Yale locks. That's automated. But some of them we use the Schlage locks that don't get automated. So you have to come in on, the, on our security system and plug it in yourself. And so I would set codes at 3.50. And I'm like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's, it's just... It, not that it's time consuming. It's just a distracting thing, right? For example, like even if I'm watching a movie, alarm goes off, it's time to set off the code. It's like, it just ruined the, the, the time that you're having, whether it's out with friends, whether it's, imagine my phone goes off right now on a message and I'm on this podcast and I have to stop the podcast to respond to a, a water issue or something like that. Right. So um, it took me a long time to, to get, to get to the point where I'm like, all right, I need to, I need to seriously hand this off so I can be a hundred percent. Um, automated because everything else is automated. I don't have to deal with anything. Here's what's cool. I did a quick math, and so let's, let's say you're paying them roughly, you know, on average five dollars a five dollars an hour, and they're working eight hours a day and eight hours, and then that's three hundred twenty bucks a week. So, and you have it three shifts covered. That's nine sixty a, a month. So, uh, wait a minute. That's nine sixty a week, right? If you're having three shifts covered. Yeah, it should be. Um, yeah, nine sixty um, times. Yeah. Times four equals three thousand eight forty. Now, is your that, that's a, a, what um, our listeners have to ask themselves: Is your business strong enough that you could pay to for you to do absolutely nothing but try to grow your business? Is it worth it spending you know three thousand eight hundred bucks a month to have everybody have other people handle all your all the day to day for you while you try to grow it? And I think the the answer clearly is yes. Yeah. Well, so I I think everybody needs to assess their their situation and say. Right. If you have four units where it's going to kill your entire profit of those four units to have yeah. someone else do this hands off, odds are it's probably not a good idea. But when you get to a specific amount of units and you are already paying yourself your salary comfortably every single month and you have a bunch, let's say, for example, for me, when I pay myself my salary, I still have four or five, six grand left over in terms of my profit. Right. In terms of my pay, I can take that money now and use it to hire my virtual assistants full time because I know comfortably that I'm going to make that money. I'm going to make that profit. And now I'm still going to pay myself what I'm comfortable with. And the, the business is hundred percent. I mean, I can literally sit here and like sculpt and paint and watch TV all day long with no issues and, um, and add units. And as I add units, I plug them into the system 
and it's all automated. And not only that, now my profit's going higher. Every time I add a unit, I can pay myself more, all because it took me the sacrifice of these couple of units, right? So for example, like when it takes about 10, 10 units, I don't know, on the, on the expensive side, maybe 10 units worth of income to be 100% automated, right? I think it's seven to 10, um, where, where you can be 100% automated without paying yourself anything. So anything over that, where you start making that profit, then it's all, it's all pocket money. Correct. Man. Yeah. And another thing to, to go into what Steve was saying too, when you start talking about paying people, uh, that's why that book profit first is so strong. Cause he tells you, man, if you ain't at that 300 K mark, you need to be doing everything yourself, which most people be like, man, that's crazy. But he's like, think about it. You start breaking down your percentages. If you're going to pay yourself this percent, your taxes, this percent, you got to get to a point to where you can start hiring people out. So yeah, definitely. Yes. I recommend that book for anybody, man. That book's a life changing right there. Yeah, man. I got to read it again. I haven't read it in like a year and a half, maybe two years. I like to reread certain things over time. Yeah. And it sounds so, like, man, like some like you, it sounds like you don't even need to reread read it because you, you, it's a system. And when it's in your head, it's just like clockwork. You know what I'm saying? Straight up, man. And I'll ask you, since you, um, since you're good at bringing other people in and, you know, getting them units set up like that, have you ever thought of just, uh, management i mean what is the pros and cons you know arbitrage versus management have you ever thought of just doing management so to be honest with you i never thought about it um just because i know that i can do it myself right like i don't to me it just makes more sense to do the work myself plug it into my system and start pocketing over it than having to bring an extra person and having to deal with different books for that specific unit add an extra system for that um all of that. And, and I, that's as much as I can speak on it because I've never done it, but I've met a lot of people um, who do do it. <laughs> Sorry, it's my dog. <laughs> who, who, who do do it, right? So I've met a lot of people who do both arbitrage and management, but I think it's because they started doing management and then eventually did arbitrage. I started with arbitrage. So I don't have the system or even the, 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 the knowledge in place to be able to start doing management or, or to nor do I want to, because again, I can just do it myself. If I have the funds, I can just do it myself, plug it in and I know I'll make more money on it. I think it's more of the headache of having to deal with, with books for someone else and having to do a completely separate thing with the income for someone else that I'd rather just not do it. I don't know. That's mm. just personal opinion, I guess. No, that's fine. I mean, it's, it's the ongoing argument right now, right? In all the clubhouses. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> yes. And besides Actually, losing, man, Jay, may, Jay be shutting them down every time, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's funny. Yes, he's a good talker. Oh man. So, um, you you mentioned Loom. I've seen some Looms. How how, how does the Loom work? You set up like a video. You know, you can record yourself. You know, an instructional video, and then you send it to your uh, your VAs. That sounds oh. pretty cool. So, um, they used to have a free system where it it wasn't um it can be unlimited number of minutes. Now they limit you, I think, to five minutes. Um, and so what it does is you can create a quick video, like for example. Um, how to unlock doors, right? Or how to set codes. I can do it, record my screen, record my face talking as I'm doing it. So it's like basically creating a quick instructional video. Literally the moment it's done, it renders a, a, a link and that link you can send it. And within 30 seconds, the other person can see it. So there's no, no uploading time, no rendering time, no having to put on a different website time. It's just that direct link. It goes to that other person. And then that other person um, can see the video. They watch the video and then they know what to do immediately. And you have a video in place to train the next person. So then if that person ever gets let go or you have to replace them or you have to show someone else, it's literally you take that video and send it to someone else. I, I can, man, I can tell you how many people I have a video on how to, how to structure your listing 
And every time someone needs help, it's like, yeah, sure. And I just send them the video and they're like, bro, thanks. It's like, I'm like, all it did was take me copy, paste and send. It was nothing. Right. And they're super <laughs> like, I can't believe you walked through all this. And it's like a 15 minute video of like literally how to set your, your, your title to how to set your paragraph, your body, like everything. Another thing, I, yeah, that that sounds awesome. I'll look into that. But another thing you mentioned early, early, early on was Jay Massey, and 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 you mentioned also you said, well, it's it's not an Airbnb business; it's an STR business, short-term rental business. So how do you? What do you mean by that? And, and how have you um, structured your business to be an STR business instead of just an Airbnb business? Sure, that's a great question, man. Um, so I actually that's something I picked up from Jay. Um, a lot of people go, oh. I get, it's like, it used to not irritate me, but now it's like, Hey, how's your Airbnb business doing? And I'm like, bro, like I don't run an Airbnb business because running an Airbnb business means you're only doing Airbnb bookings. And even then Airbnb is just a marketing platform, right? It's just like doing my drone, my own, if I have my own direct website, but I had a billion dollars to promote it, I'd be just as big as Airbnb. My website would be just as big because everybody would know about my direct website. So, um, when, when you run an Airbnb business, you're literally doing only Airbnb bookings, only having to deal with people with Airbnb. You're talking about opening Airbnbs, right? When you go to a landlord, hey, I want to open an Airbnb in your unit. But when you talk about short-term rentals, we're talking bookings for business travelers, corporate travelers. We're talking, I can call the local companies here, all the hospitals and try to get contracts with them to provide short-term rentals for them. Um, we're talking a completely different business structure, right? Um, in, in terms of of the way you look at it, the way it's structured, the way it's even zoned, um, the way people talk about it. If I go to my, if I had I gone to my landlord that's offering me all these units and I said, Hey man, I'm going to open an Airbnb in your unit. He would have been like, no, thanks. But I went to him and I said, Hey, I, I do short-term rentals. What that means is that I house um, all types of people here for business, um, families for leisure, for Disneyland, nurses who are coming to the UCI medical center, um, insurance companies when the house has flooded. And I explained it from the short-term rental side. It was a game changer. The guy was like, oh, so it's not just Airbnb. No, man, Airbnb is just a website that I used to bring in people when I don't have a, when I don't have a booking from my, my other sources. And they're like, oh, mm. oh, and I educated him on that. And no longer does, how your Airbnb is, he goes, hey, how are your extended stays? That's what he says. That's what he calls them. I go, you mean my short-term rentals? And he goes, he just laughs. He goes, yeah, how are they doing? I go, they're doing great, man. I go, you got any more units for me? He goes, they're coming, they're coming. We have this talk every day, right? So it's very distinct. People got to understand that it's very, very distinct. So. Yeah. That is awesome. That's golden right there. And also, can you find me some units in SoCal? I can. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. So look, it's funny. I was just talking to a buddy of mine who, who uh, he's also out there in Fullerton and he called me, he goes, Hey bro, any new locations. And I'm like, uh, I can share them. Do I want to share them? I don't know if I want more people in my locations. Right. Because again, it's like it floods specific areas, man. When I got to Fullerton, I kid you guys not. Uh, it was me. And maybe like in that one corner, uh, literally just me. And then you fast forward 14 months, there was 130 within a 10 mile radius of me. Mm -hmm. And it was all people who literally just started following me. One guy went into the same building. In that same building, we had 39 short-term rentals. I mean, there's a reason why we got kicked out, right? Uh, and and there are like two other buildings, right? Even like this, like I was telling you guys, in this Costa Mesa building, um, this guy that walked in and used my name, uh, I called and tried to get more and now they don't want to do anymore because they're stopping the corporate rentals there. And I'm like, uh, why? Well, because there's another guy in here now we can't give out anymore. So it, it comes to a, like, it's a, like a, a fine line, I guess, because people can find out where you're at very easily, but 
it, it, I would only share my locations with people who I know run their business the way I run it because I just don't want to have any problems. I don't want somebody going in there and just letting any random person into the building. It, it just happened. It just, it's happened to me multiple times. It just happened in the, at this new location. The same owner who didn't want, I right, listen to this story. The same owner who didn't want to do Airbnbs in our, in, in his building where I educated him, sold him on the entire business structure was literally asking people, Hey man, this is perfect for extended short-term stays. Do you want to rent the locations? And I look at him, I go, what are you doing? I go, you're putting people on the, you're putting people direct competition in the same building. He goes, we'll take the whole building. I'll take the whole building. Stop offering it to other people. And um, in one of the other locations, he actually gave another company um, seven units. And I didn't find out about it until a week later. I'm like, hey, I'm ready for the rest of the units. They're leased. I go, this other company was going to do what you're doing. And then he has the audacity to call me to train and teach these people to do things the way I'm doing them. Oh I was like, gosh. oh my God. I was like, nope, figure it out, man. If they got problems, it's on you. And then, no, so I actually sat him down and his business partner, they both own the building. And I sat them down. I said, listen, I go, I've been through this before. You brought people in. There's going to, I don't, don't want to say it's going to happen, but there will be a time where you're going to have issues with someone that doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't run the business the way that we run it. When that happens, do not pull me in to that pool of trouble. As a matter of fact, keep me 100% separate because if you guys ever do decide to keep these people out, I want to take over their units. I don't want to be involved in it. And luckily, I had that conversation because, man, sure enough, within two weeks of operating, people are smoking in the building and it's 100% smoke-free building. They're allowing it. I'm watching them from the patios. I'm down there with the owners having a, a meeting and it's that unit that they rented out. And there's kids out there with furniture on the, on the patio and they're smoking. And I'm like, I'm not calling them, man, figure it out. That's on you. That's on you. So, you know, it depends on who you work with, the operate, who you operate with and how you operate. That's going to keep you afloat. Facts. Facts. Yeah. Now, now have you thought about doing like a right to refusal on those? Yeah. yeah. So, man, I wish I would have thought about that before I, I signed those lofts because, um, uh, now I do now, now I, I am, uh, I am, I'm thinking of doing it every time it happens. So, um, every time somebody like for this eight unit building, I literally said, Hey, not only am I doing a right to refusal, I'm making sure that he doesn't talk to anybody else before any time a new building comes up. So now I'm, I'm starting to consider it in every single location that I go into. Wow. Yeah. Cause I, I noticed that when people start overcrowding, like you said, man, if people start getting shut down, you start getting a whole bunch of now. And also one thing you said is very important. The last question, how did you, now you said you had a bunch in one building. How, what, what was the lessons learned on that? Man. Okay. Number one, don't open so many in a giant building like that. Mm -hmm. Right. Unless I control the entire, like a small unit building, like anything from five to 12 units. I don't want to do any more in a building with like, I'm not going to do 14 in a building with like 150 anymore because if they decide to change their mind, even though we're operating good and something happens and they, they shut me down and I have to move, I'm going to be stuck moving all those units. And that was a big, big lesson, right? Um, it's great in terms of scale because you can open a lot fast, but not only that, now you're in direct competition. People say there's no competition in the short-term rental game. There isn't, there isn't. But when you're in the same little corner, there's definitely competition, 100%. And so, you know, one unit will perform, outperform the other, and the other will outperform the other. And so, so now I'm very, very specific. Like, like at that loft building, I could have taken all 24, but instead I only took nine, right? That's it. That was my max. Um, because if they decide to change their mind, if the building sells, if a regulation comes in, anything, 
I don't want to be stuck having to scramble and figuring out what to do with so many units in one location. Man, and also now, how, how do you handle like new management coming in? So um, it's funny. That's a great question, dude. Um, I have that happened at that other building where I was at three different management companies in the time I was there. And so each one is like teaching a brand new kid what you're doing. Like it's, it's just, you have to, the moment they come in, it was, Hey, listen, I'm Raphael. I'm the night and rain properties. I have the 15 units here. Um, I just want to sit down and talk to you guys. So you guys understand how it is exactly that we operate. I'm sure the prior management talked about us, but if they didn't let me know when it's a good time to come in, we'll talk about it. We'll get going. And so um, it was sitting down with them and then walking them through every single one of my units. I made sure that they were able to see all of my locations within the building. Um, so they understand um, what it is exactly that we do, what it is exactly that, that we bring in, who, who it is that we're, we're housing and how we operate most importantly, exactly what we have in place to be able to manage our locations properly. And it's just uh, teaching them all over. So it's, it's basically just teaching that new management company exactly what you do. And man, luckily all, all three of them loved us. They absolutely loved everything about us because we kept their occupancy rate low. We, we handled everything professionally. Um, we never had any issues and we handled most of our maintenance issues ourselves anyway. So mm -hmm. So you deal directly with owners mostly? You don't just deal with the front office? No, I do both. I do both. Okay. So um, I just love owners mainly because they're easier to deal with. Um, you, you have more control with them as opposed to a, a front office property manager. If that property manager, like we were just saying, if that property manager changes, now you're having to teach a whole new person the same thing. And if that new management company doesn't want you, adios, you're out the door. And so with, with owners not only, I actually like to deal with investors, owner investors more than anything now, mm. because um, those guys are the ones that when you have a really good relationship with them, they'll literally start offering everything. I mean, I, I, I'm not kidding you guys. Like I have three buildings lined up an eight unit, a nine unit, a 12 unit. Like, I don't even know if I can handle all that coming up. Right. So give me, yeah, give me some of those. <laughs> you, know, another, you know, what's a great way to find them. I'm going to tell you guys really quick is contractors, bro. Contractors that do multifamily. That's bold. Not everybody talks about that, but um, the contractor that built that one nine unit building, uh, he's building four other buildings for four other investors. And it's a simple phone call. Hey man, what do you got? Anything new that's coming up? He goes, yeah, we're about to finish on this 12 unit building. But my, my business partner that I told you guys, so we decided she's, she's starting her own separate now. And so she's building up her own company and that's how it worked. We called it the, 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 the contractor. And she took over an entire, an entire, um, I think it's like a 12 unit building slowly taken over. She's got seven there now and she's slowly taking them as they go. And it was the, we call the contractor said, Hey, the next building for your next investor, when you're ready to go, as soon as it's ready, call me first before you call anybody else. And it was a simple, I took him out to lunch, bought him some coffee. Now we're friends. And now he just calls me every time there's a new building from that's, any investor. Smart move, man. That's what I, I, yeah. that's what I've been doing. Like, that's why I, like in my clubhouse bio when I, I don't get on it as much, but that's all I'm looking for. Uh, contractors, uh, lines of credit. Yeah. I, I tell them straight up what I'm looking for. I need yes, uh, STRs. So yeah, that, that's a fact. That's a major plug. Major. Yeah. Man, I, I need to rewind this. I need to listen to this episode a bunch, man. This is so much <laughs> dropping so much knowledge on us. Uh, I have a really important question. Um, in and out Burger or Tommy's Burgers? in and out bro, 100%. <laughs> 100%. You ain't, you ain't down with those chili burgers? Dude, no, you know, if I don't, if I'm eating a burger, it's got to be in and out man. I don't eat them anywhere else. <laughs> oh, man. Can't go around with a double-double and I almost all fries. 
Oh man, yeah, we got him out here. It's not the same. It's not the same as the Cali In and Out. So I don't know what the deal is. Different, different, really? water, different water they use. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, this has been a this has been a great up. You got some more questions, Micah? That was it, man. This is a dope episode. I'm definitely gonna be rewinding it back. I know it's gonna get a lot of hits because man, hey, that, how you trained a VA? That was dope, man. I love it. Uh, but yeah, man, Roth, thanks for coming on, man. Of course, I'll see you on Clubhouse. Um, I ain't been on as much, but I'm going to hop back in there. But, yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Cool, man. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. I know you give a bunch of advice. What, what advice do you get people starting out, you know, to, to go ahead and, and take the plunge and jump into arbitraging? All right. Um, don't Everybody that, that I've met literally is like they'll sit down and try to learn as much as they can. Just learn how to talk to a landlord and then go do that step. Don't worry about what comes next. That's literally it. Learn what to say. Educate yourself on how to talk to them. And then just go out and find them, make the phone call, sign that first lease. Literally everything else will fall into place. Don't sit there and try to learn the entire business before you get going. Uh, okay. Uh, can we do a little role playing, uh, act like I'm a, I'm a landlord or I'm, I'm a front office, whatever. How, how would you approach me and, and pitch me? Yeah, man. So I would, it would be a phone call first. So it's a simple, hey, my name's Rafael. I'm with Nine Rain Properties. Uh, we're a corporate housing provider here in Southern California. We do short-term rentals for business travelers in the area. Uh, in your area, we're actually looking to expand. We've had some demand for some travel nurses coming from the hospital, uh, UCI Medical Center, and we're uh, we're hoping we can work with you guys. Do you guys allow corporate leases? That's it. That's literally it. And, and do you um, you put everything under your LLC as corporate leases? Yes, everything. And, so every single lease that I have is under my corporation. Okay. And so I know, like, starting off, like, let's, for example, I started off my LLC this year, right? And so it's a lot of places are saying they want to see at least two years, you know, uh, of, of you doing business under that LLC. How did you, how did you get started putting stuff under your LLC? So, um, okay. The, the people that will ask you for um, two years experience are the very well-established property management companies that manage the REITs, right? Those big real estate investment trusts that have 500 unit complexes. Um, those guys already have a procedure and system in place to handle corporate leases. And their, their procedure and system is usually two years experience, um, business bank accounts, um, business credit. Those are the things that they'll ask you for. So anybody who wants to get started, I always tell them, look, look for the small complexes, the, the ones that are, that are in need to get vacancy filled, right? If it's a 500 unit complex and a property manager, they don't care if you're going to take one or five units. They're, gonna, they're already doing their marketing. That's what they do. It's, it doesn't matter to them if they have a, a five or six units empty on 500 units because they know they'll get filled at some point. But if you go to a, uh, a landlord or a single family operator who's got four or five units that they're losing money every month because it's like their baby or like their third, fourth investment, they're not going to care that you've been operating for two years. They're going to care more of how you operate, what you do, and that you have the funds to cover those expenses. That's literally it. And so if you're not going to start, if you don't have that, to, that two year business history or that two year business credit, um, go find those single family, those single uh, operator investor owners that own one 12 unit building that own five, six houses in the area and explain to them what it is that you're doing. Have your bank account with money ready so that they can see that you have the funds to cover the expenses. That's super huge. And just literally have a conversation. Have a, don't be fake. Don't lie to them about who you're bringing in um, and, and explain to them what you're going to do and show them that you have the funds to cover their rent and you're, they'll guarantee will probably hundred out of a hundred out of like, I don't know, 90% of the time will be that they'll accept you. Mm. 
And, and okay. And what if you get this question? Oh, you mean Airbnb? You're gonna come in here and do Airbnb? Oh, how do you answer? How do you answer that? So that that was the, the going back to that same owner. The first question he asked me, you know, walked in the door. He goes, "Look, man, I don't want any Airbnb here, right?" And right, so, hey, right. do they go, oh, so is it like Airbnb? I go, hey, look, before we get to that, I just want to explain to you first what we do. I just stopped the question. I kind of diverted. I just want to explain to you what I do. Look, I do short-term rentals, okay? What I do is I bring in corporate house. I, I provide corporate housing for business travelers who are here in the area, for nurses who need a place to stay in short-term days, anything under 30 days. Um, I have used Airbnb in the past. Um, Airbnb is used to fill my vacancy and my gaps in those days in the calendar where I absolutely need to get it filled because if I'm empty, I can't pay you your rent. If mm. I'm hundred percent occupied, then I pay you the rent. And mm. so I don't, I tell them, I don't have a business traveler who's coming in for the entire year. If that was the case, they, I just hand them over to you so you can do a 12 month lease, but they're here for a week. They're here for a month. And in between that time, when I don't have someone else coming in or a nurse who's staying or a, or a, a family for, for Disneyland, that's when I come in and I say, I have to use Airbnb for those days because I need to be occupied. But those people still get vetted the exact same way as everybody else, right? We make sure that, they, that they're good people. We understand they got to have a, a, a host referral. Um, we got to make sure that they have a government ID. We got to make sure that the person who book checks in. And then our security systems in the house is the second vetting where we make sure that when they're in the apartment, there's no parties going down because of the noise decibel monitors. Um, we make sure that there's no extra people coming in with them because of the doorbell camera. And once you explain to that and show that to them, it's like, oh, okay, I see. It's not just Airbnb. You're right. You're actually, and again, and the most important thing, let them know you're running a business. It's a professional business, not a side gig, something you're doing for fun, right? right. Well, I'm going to take care of your place perfect for the next 10 years. It's going to be in perfect shape 10 years from now, right? Because I'm, I'm going to get it cleaned 30 times a month, right? Um, and so in five years, the property is going to look just as good as it looks today. You're not going to have to bring in someone in 12 months to, to repair the wall because there's a hole in it because I'm going to make sure that that wall has been taken care of while I'm, I'm operating there. And once you explain that, it's, it's like, yeah, how many keys do you want? No joke. <laughs> that's awesome. Keep that, 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 that maintained property. That's always the, you know yes. what I'm saying? Them apartment pumpkins, they, they hate going in there after 12 months, somebody long-term that stayed, destroyed the place. You know, that's mm. a huge one, man. Yep. Yeah, so stay on after we after we end this uh, after we end the video, man. I ask you some things about you know getting some places from you. Yeah, sounds good, man. Definitely. All right. Well, this is a great episode, Michael. What do you think? Yeah, great episode, man. Definitely shoot us out at uh, liveletthrive at gmail Follow us. Um, email us at liveletthrive <laughs> Follow us on Instagram. And yeah, thank y'all for continuing to listen. And we are out. Later. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Live, Let, Thrive. Be sure to tune in next week for all the latest in the world of Airbnb and all that entails. Bye-bye.